Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, and 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And from 2 Corinthians, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on your behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sometimes it's hard to know what to say. I want to say that right up front. I, I get this. We've all had moments when a friend or a family member tells us some really hard news, shares with us about some suffering they're experiencing, a, a dev devastating diagnosis or a death of someone close to them. Maybe they lost a job out of the blue or found out their kid just got arrested. In those moments that we're sitting with a friend and they say, he filed for divorce yesterday, or we're going through bankruptcy, it's really hard to know what to say. I bet you've had a moment like this or two or three in your life when a friend or family member tells you some big and some hard news and you can see the tears welling up in their eyes even as they force the words out of their mouths. My cancer's back. Or my mom died. And you find yourself in that moment stuck. Unsure what to do. Unsure what to say. Maybe our first impulse in a moment like that is to freak out. But we know that freaking out is not going to help because our family member or friend is probably freaking out and themselves and our freak out is just going to add to their freak out. So freaking out, that is off the table. No freaking out. What then do we say? We want to be encouraging. We want to say something helpful. We want to lift up the spirits of our friend. We, we maybe even want to say something spiritual. So we stumble around and we search in our memory banks and we, we find this little phrase, kind of a cliche that we've heard somewhere before, but we just can't quite remember where. Maybe it's even in the Bible. We're not sure, but it sounds good. It's pretty reassuring. So we, we reach out and we grab our, grab our loved one's hand and we say, God won't give you more than you can handle. And we sit back and take a deep breath because we have met the moment with appropriate wisdom and we've been a good friend. Or have we? Have we? It's hard to know what to say when we want to say something comforting and reassuring to our friends. And sometimes that uncertainty leads us to say things that are common, commonly repeated, and they, they seem to make good sense, but if we take time to examine them closely and compare them to our biblical faith, we'll discover that what we mean to be helpful turns out to be only almost true. Almost true. 
For the next four weeks, I want to explore with you some of these almost true statements and see together where they line up with our faith and where they miss the mark. And each week, we're going to gain some insights into the pitfalls of these statements, and we're going to walk away with an alternative, something that we can hang on to that rings fully true instead of just almost true to the God that we know and trust. Now, if you follow endurance bike racing at all, and I'm assuming that none of you watching today do because this is a very uh, obscure corner of the sports world, but if you do, you will have heard of something called the Leadville 100 Race Series. Okay, I know you don't follow endurance bike racing, so let me just take a minute to tell you about this race series. Uh, Leadville 100 is a series of crazy hard endurance events that all happen around Leadville, Colorado. And you might know that Leadville, Colorado is above 10,000 feet in elevation, so like the second highest incorporated town in all of the United States, which makes everything harder. And the signature event for the Leadville 100 race series is a 100-mile mountain bike ride that happens in the dirt roads around Leadville, Colorado, which all the roads are either up or down like this. Okay. So world-class athletes, they finish this 100-mile mountain bike race in, in a little over six hours. Normal people, people who have still trained for months or years, they push themselves to the limit, hoping to finish within 12 hours, which is the cutoff time. Now, let me be clear, I have never, nor will I ever, race the Leadville 100. I've just read a lot about it. And one of the signature moments of the event comes the night before, where there's a mandatory pre-race meeting for all the athletes. And at that meeting, the founder of the event, a guy named Ken Clover, he stands up and he makes a speech to all these endurance athletes. And he tells them tomorrow's gonna be really hard, probably the hardest thing you've ever done. And so I want you to remember and repeat this following mantra to yourself as you ride this grueling course. And then he tells them, you are better than you think you are, you can do more than you think you can. You are better than you think you are. You can do more than you think you can. He says this because he knows that when we're engaged in an endurance event, when we're slogging through something that feels like it's never going to end, when all we can see ahead of us is an endless climb up a steep mountain, the thing that gives out first the thing that's often the weakest in us, our biggest problem sits right here between our ears. It's our brains that try to trick us into giving up and giving in first. Mentally, we wear out and we become fixated on stopping at the next aid station and just climbing off the bike. Sure, our muscles hurt. Sure, we're sweaty as all get out. Sure, our heart and our lungs are working harder than ever before, but they can all keep going if we just ask. It's our heads that want to give up and give in before we're actually at the limit, the true physical limit of our bodies. So Clover says, you're better than you think you are. You can do more than you think you can. I tell you this, because this is the sentiment that people, I think, are trying to get across when they say, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's what they're trying to say. It's one of the good intentions uh, with which people use that phrase, to try to encourage people to endurance. We want to remind them how strong they are, how much they can persevere, that they can handle a whole heck of a lot, even the big mountain of awful that's standing right in front of them. And it's great 
to encourage people to endurance, both in bike racing and in life. I think that half of our resilience comes from just being reminded that we're resilient, that we're capable. So that's a good thing that the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, that's a good thing it's trying to do. The other hope of the phrase is to remind people that God is with them, right? It's a way for us to try and say, God's in control of the world, God's eye is on the sparrow, so of course God is watching over you in this hard moment. It may feel like you're alone, but you aren't. God is with you. Okay, so you're saying, Amy, what is the big problem? We're trying to encourage people to endurance. We're trying to mind them, remind them that God is with them. Those are good things, right? Well, yes, of course they're good things, which is why this phrase is almost true. It's almost true. We say it with good intentions, but the phrase itself comes with some unintended consequences that are not helpful at all, even if our intentions are good. And before we dive into those, I want to take just a minute with the scripture. Because that first scripture that Keith read for us is the scripture that's often used to back up this phrase. To say, see, the, the Bible says that God won't give you more than you can handle. And it, it comes, the scripture comes from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, the 10th chapter. And it, we just heard it a moment ago. It says, no testing has overtaken you that's not common to everyone. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. With the testing, he will also provide the way out so you may be able to endure it. Now that sounds pretty close to our almost true statement, doesn't it? God won't give you more than you can handle. The problem is, in the verse, Paul is not talking at all about trials and tribulations in life. He's talking about temptation. The translation we were using says testing, which is kind of nebulous. But if we read the rest of chapter 10, the context becomes very clear. Paul is talking about practices and habits that the Corinthians needed to stay away from, things that they shouldn't do in order to live good and, and holy and godly lives. See, he didn't want them to be like their pagan neighbors. He didn't want them to even act like they had acted before they became Christian people. So he was really worried that they not engage in certain sexual practices, or he didn't want them worshiping idols. He didn't even want them really eating meat in the marketplace that had been sacrificed in pagan temples. He wanted them to live differently. He wanted them to live like followers of Jesus, but he knows it's going to be hard to them because there are people around them doing all these other things that he doesn't want them to do, and they're going to be tempted. They're going to be tempted to engage in these pagan behaviors. So he encourages them, and he says, hey, what you're going through your temptations, they're not any different than everybody else's temptations. And by the way, God's going to provide you a way out. God's going to provide you a way to resist these temptations. So he's talking about behavior, things we shouldn't do. And so we might think about his advice as fitting today for someone who's struggling with pornography or someone who's drinking too much or someone who's trying to control their anger this verse applies very well to them. He says, you're being tempted, but God's going to help you find a way out of the place you're stuck. Paul is not talking about moments of hardship or trial that just come as a part of living life, like when we get a diagnosis, or we lose a parent, or we lose a job. That's simply not what this verse is about. Now, Paul has things to say about hardship and suffering in life. It's just that this verse from 1 Corinthians 10, that's not one of those places. 
Instead, when Paul talks about suffering, when Paul talks about these trials that come to us in life, he says things like the second scripture that Keith read for us today. Remember that? Paul said, we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. You ever been in a moment like that? Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death so we would not rely on ourselves, but rely on God who raises the dead. He who rescued us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us, and so on him we have set our hope. And you also join us in helping us by your prayers. So Paul, he knew hardship. In this moment, he was talking about a time that he was arrested, he was tried, and he was sentenced to death. The guy wasn't just in jail, he was on death row. He knew hardship as great as any of us have ever experienced. And he very much counted on God to help him through those times of suffering and trial. But he did not say, he doesn't say here and he doesn't say anywhere, that God caused his suffering or his hardship. And this is the first big problem with that phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you. God doesn't give us suffering. God doesn't look down from heaven and say, you know, I'd like to see just how much Amy can take. How about I give a few of her friends cancer this month? And maybe I'll just take away a relative or two. How about I make her job really stressful, and I, th I think it's about time I make something break in her house. Let's pick the washing machine today. And just for good measure, I'm going to have Matt get into a car accident just to see how much Amy can take, how tough she really is. God doesn't do anything like that. God does not send us suffering to test us or try us or punish us. God does not send us suffering. I can't say it clearly enough. Now, why do we suffer? That is one of life's great mysteries and a different sermon. But it is not because God draws up plans to give us really awful days. So if we say God won't give you more than you can handle... It implies that God decided it was time to see what you're made of, to see how much you can suffer, and, and that just misrepresents who God is. The second big problem with that phrase is something that we can see in, in what Paul said, and that is that people have more than they can handle all the time. All the time, people wind up with more pain and more grief and more hurt and more trouble and more burden and more disaster than they can handle. And there is nothing wrong with admitting that and reaching out for help. So when we hear that phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, instead of it being an encouragement, it can easily be taken as the message, hey, don't be weak. You can do this, and if you can't, there must be something wrong with you. The phrase can reinforce this belief that too many of us carry around, that we should be able to handle all our problems, that we should just be able to handle our trouble by ourselves. Too many of us think that reaching out for help is a sign of weakness or defeat. And so when we hear, God won't give you more than you can handle, it might lead us to double down on this idea that we should be tough enough, or we should be independent enough, and just suffer through it alone. If someone is feeling defeated or despairing, for them to have us say, God won't give you more than you can handle, it can make them feel like they aren't measuring up, or even worse, that they're being faithless. 
And that's just sideways thinking. Because life can be really overwhelming, completely overwhelming. And God doesn't want us to suffer alone. God wants to help. God wants to rescue. God wants to save us. That's what God does. That's who God fundamentally is. God wants to help us in our time of trouble. And so often the best way that God does that is through other people. So when we're suffering, God wants us to reach out for help, to admit, hey, I've got more going on than I can handle right now, and then seek out friends for help. Talk to doctors. Come see our pastor. Go and find a therapist. We are surrounded by so many people who want to and can help us in those moments when we have more stuff going on than we can handle by ourselves. You know, Paul said that clearly in the second passage. In the midst of this terrible trial, he says, I couldn't rely on myself. It was too much. I had to rely on God who raises the dead. Paul had more than he could handle. But God rescued him, and Paul has hope that God will do it again and again. And he also says, Corinthians, you, church, you helped me out by your prayers. So not only does Paul need God's help, Paul needs the help of the Corinthian church. Their prayers are lifting him up and helping him, and helping him know he doesn't have to handle it all alone. Okay, so if we don't want to say, God won't give you more than you can handle... Because that's only almost true. What do we say instead? Paul actually gives us a great suggestion in another passage from 2 Corinthians, this time from the 12th chapter. And this is a moment when he's talking about a trial he has to endure, some physical ailment probably that he had. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. And he says, A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated, Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may dwell in me. For wherever I am weak, then I am strong. Did you hear that? Paul says the answer he got from God when he appealed to God for help the answer he got was, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient. Or God's grace is enough. When you feel like you're at the end of your rope, when life is so completely overwhelming, remember that God's power is so much more than our power. And God will give grace upon grace to help us endure. God's grace is enough. That's a way to encourage people and say, hey, you can do this. You have what you need to endure this trial, and God is with you, which those were the two things we were trying to say with our almost true phrase. God's grace is enough. You're going to make it. Those are words that can bring comfort and hope to a friend who's facing hardship. Here's a little pastor secret I want to share with you today, though. Something to remember in those moments when people share hard news with you. You don't really have to say very much of anything. Just being there as a trusted person is what's most important. Now you have to say something. Just sitting there silently, that's probably not going to help. Okay? You have to say something, but you don't have to say much. So saying, I'm here for you, I'm here for you, that's often enough. 
In those moments of sharing hard news, people need to talk more than they need to listen to what we have to say. So we might ask a few questions and say, hey, I'm scared with you and I'm here with you. And that's enough to be a good friend. My challenge to you this week is to do exactly this, to reach out to somebody you know who's going through a hardship or a trial. Ask how they're doing and let them know that you're there, that you're with them, that you wanna support them. And if the timing is right, you might say to them, remember God's grace is enough and God is with you, you can do this. But only if it feels like they really need that reassurance. May we all be reminded today that God's grace is more than enough for today, for tomorrow, for all the days to come. Amen. Amen.